could we give it up for those chairs you're sitting in? Oh my gosh, I almost fell asleep during your preaching, Aaron. I mean, uh, Nicole, during the offering. This is amazing. Um, this is awesome. You know, a little bit about us. We used to live here. We moved. I can't believe it. It's been 15 years since we moved away uh, from Brevard County. We lived here from 1987 to t- uh, 2004 and went back to Destin, which is my hometown. And now we've been there 15 years. It's gone by so fast. We, we, were, se- we were here 17 years. And then uh, we have been in Destin for 15 years. You're like, how could that be, Eric? You only look 40 years old. No, I know. But what's crazy is... Is it's been 15 years almost to the day. So when we moved to Brevard County, I don't know if y'all were, if, if anybody, is anybody not, when we moved from Brevard County to Destin, uh, 2004, anybody remember that year? Oh, yeah. Francis, Charlie, Francis, Ivan, and Jean. That was when we were moving during that whole period of time. In fact, we had a boat that was out in the Indian River and it got sent up on the docks and we had to rescue it and it was crazy. And I thought we were going to relive that because we were actually on our way down here last Friday. I was supposed to speak at a church in Merritt Island, our, uh, the church that we came out of. And they called me on the way and they said, turn around. We're not going to have you. I was like, because I thought we're going to have a repeat of Hurricane Francis because it was on Labor Day weekend 15 years ago. And so it was kind of, and I'm actually wax, waxing pretty nostalgic right now because we're in a huge transition in life. We just sold our house of 15 years and uh, it was a 3,000 square foot house and we just moved into a 572 square foot house. Now you're thinking, why would you do that? Because I'm trying to reduce my bedroom so my kids quit coming home. Because uh, <laughs> they find, no, we have no more room. No, it's kind of a God challenge that Darling and I have uh, with God. I think he's kind of challenging us to scale down and so we're doing it and so it can get kind of sentimental um we hadn't even been in a new place for a week when we were on our way down here so it was kind of crazy and it's so it just blows me away man i guess what they say is true time flies um when you're paying bills month by month and then you die right uh so and i just want to say up front i don't like speaking at other churches um this isn't really another church, though. I don't like to speak out. I love speaking at Shoreline Church. That's the church that we pastor in Destin. I really love speaking there. But to me, coming because this is the third time I've been to Grace, it's like going to see your cousins that you haven't spent seen in a couple of years, because some of y'all I know. And, you know, you guys are like my niece and nephew. So I'm your weird uncle, okay? So, uh, and, and listen, and he talked about the assessment because we used to do assessments, all right? And that's where you would take these young people, uh, young people that have a dream to plant a church, and you would try to get to know them in three days and see whether they have it. And I'm gonna tell you something, it's a lot like, I do a lot of weddings in Destin. Destin is a destination wedding pl- uh, location. People come there to get married on our white beaches. And I probably do 35 weddings a year. And some of these people, I don't even meet until about 30 minutes before they're about to get married. And so the, you, you get a sense of whether, so I, believe it or not, I can get a sense when I just meet a couple whether they're meant to be. In fact, there was this one couple that was getting married or they'd gotten married and it was at the reception and they wanted to, and one of my friends was the DJ and they wanted to extend the music another hour. And so they were, she was going over to talk to the DJ and he was falling right behind her and she starts to talk to him and he grabs her and goes, you need to shh. This is the groom talking to his bride. He's been married for two hours. You need to shh, because the adults are talking. Yes, yes. On that one, I got a pretty good sense that it wasn't going to last, because he was probably going to kill her in his sleep, okay? No, she was going to kill him in his sleep. Let me get that right. See, again, I'm not used to speaking to other churches, so I get a little nervous, mix that up. But let me tell you about this couple that when when we met them, 
you know, we're doing these assessments and you're assessing 30, 40 couples that have a dream in their heart of planting churches and some of them are young and some are old and some are like, do you know how to type? Um, you know that some don't have it and some do have it. And I knew right away that this couple has it. And I'm telling you, they're an awesome couple. They have a vision for this church. They love you and they love this city, which is even more important. And they want to they wanna impact the city like you've never, you can't even imagine. And so could we just give it up for your pastors? And Nicole... I'm just glad you're still in church. Good to see that you're still attending church. I'm really excited about that. I love to give uh, Nicole a hard time. So. Uh, so my wife and I have been married 34 years, and we finally, finally figured some things out uh, after 34 years. And there's this thing that we do. We never, it's, never, we never, it's a contest that we have. We've never put pen to paper or kind of verbalized it. It's just this contest that we have this unspoken contest. And the contest occurs right after we have an argument, which, you know, because I'm a pastor, is about once every day. And um, what we do is, here's our contest. Our contest is whoever asks for forgiveness first is the most spiritually mature of the two, okay? And yeah, of course we do this because we are very functional and mature, healthy people. And uh, whoever says, now they have to say, will you forgive me? They can't, because you know those fake apologies? You ever have those fake apologies or they're not real apologies? I'm sorry you were so offended. You know that? Because, wait a minute, that's not an apology. I'm sorry you got upset. We actually have a, a game with that as well. I think we have gotten apologies down pretty much, which tells you the kind of couple we are. There's another thing that we do, because we realize that when, when you get in a fight, James, who's the brother of Jesus, he said the reason why you argue is because you want something, you're not getting your way, and so you fight about it. And so that kind of hit us as we've grown as a couple that, you know, the things that we're fighting about, if we really think about it, it's just because I'm not getting my way. I want to watch football. You want to do this. And so we're going to fight about it. And so we kind of realized that. And so as a way to lighten the mood, we came up with this way to apologize that's kind of like that, where I'm sorry you're offended, where it's not really an apology, but it's even worse. We took it to the nth degree where one of us will go, I'm sorry you're such a butthead. And the other one will go, well, I'm sorry, you're such a jerk. You know? And then we laugh because we realize we're the ones being the jerk. Here's the fake apology. This isn't even worth arguing about. But I made this mistake. There was a young man who was in this, group, this counseling group that I was doing this getting married. And I kind of told him how we did this, right? So he's not even married yet. He's out with his fiance, and she's got a couple of girlfriends. And she does something. And he says to her in front of all of them, I'm sorry, you're such a butthead. <laughs> And he calls me and says, that thing didn't work. I was like, you can't do that. This is 30 years of marriage experience. And you can't just out of the cold just say that to her, especially in front of her girlfriends. And then his fiance was, I can't believe you told him to do that. I didn't tell him to do that. I was just telling him what we do. So that's one of the contests. But the other contest is that whoever apologizes, whoever says, will you forgive me, is the most spiritually mature of the two. Now, I have to admit, Darlene always wins that contest. I mean, I admit that uh, it is what it is. She's, I'll just admit she's just a better human being than me, okay? I outkicked my coverage. I married out of my league on that one. But the thing, here's the thing I have, and I need to get this off my chest. She doesn't fight fairly. 
okay? Because what will happen is um, we'll be in this verbal interchange, okay? We'll be arguing, and of course, she's an emotional wreck, you know, not me. I'm like a Chevy truck, like a rock, right? And so we'll be engaged in this verbal interchange, and I'll just be entering the zenith of my closing arguments on why she hurt me, you know? I will be about to drive the proverbial nail into the coffin of my closing arguments where of why she upset me or why she hurt me and what she did to me, and I'm about to go defense rest, and then she'll just drop it and go, will you forgive me? I'm like, no, no, not yet. And then she takes it even further and goes, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. After you're finished, will you forgive me? You know, I'm like... Yes, but not now. <laughs> and she's, she says, well, why? Because you hurt me. You hurt me, girl. You hurt me like no other woman has ever hurt a grown man. You almost made me cry. And yes, I will forgive you, but not until I have taken you to that deep, dark, desolate place that you took me and you experienced the pain and the anguish that you put me through. Then yes, I will forgive you. <laughs> right? And you know what, why I feel that way? is because I want justice. You know what I'm saying? I want justice, and I want justice when I want it. In fact, I want justice for husbands everywhere whose wives do not fight fairly. Are you with me, guys? Come on, don't leave me hanging here, because if I go down, we're all going down, okay? Because I told her, you know. See, we want justice, and the thing about justice is we want justice when it serves us. You know what I'm saying? We want justice and we want it when it serves us and we want it now. I want what is fair and I want what is right and I want it when I want it. And the thing is, this is not just a tendency of myself. This is a tendency of all of us in this room. And this is a part of the message where I superimpose my problems on you so that you can relate with me and later on we'll bring that up and we'll deal with that, okay? But the truth is it's a human tendency and every one of us suffer with this. Everyone, every one of us struggle with this, this idea of justice and fairness and we want it when we want it and we want it when it serves us. And everyone in this room struggles with it and you probably struggle with it more than I do. That makes me feel better, and I think I can leave now. I'm good. I feel good, right? So here's the thing, and why do we do that? Because I believe it's because we're Americans. Because in America, if, it, if anything that we love in America, it's fairness, right? We love fairness. We love, maybe you don't personally, but as a culture, we want what is fair. We want what is right. We want justice. I'm proud to be an American where at least I know it's fair, right? It's an American thing. If anything, we are fair. The problem is, is when we take this premise, especially American premise, of fairness and justice into a relationship with God. The problem is when we take this American premise of fairness and justice into a relationship with a, with a king who has a kingdom, because Jesus is a king and he does have a kingdom, and because he has a kingdom, that means he has a certain way of doing things. He has a rule, a reach, or a domain, or a certain culture that, uh, that you operate in that kingdom. And the problem comes when we take our propensity for fairness and justice, and we take this American thing for fairness and justice, and we take it into a relationship with God. And I'm going to tell you, when you do this, there's going to be some friction, and there's going to be some frustration. 
And at times, it's going to be hard to even explain why you feel frustrated. And my concern is I see these tendencies in me, and, but I say this not so much as a pastor, but just as a Christ follower, a fellow Christ follower, I see this in other people as well. See, we have this, we have this propensity to, see, to think that God sees fairness and justice the way we see fairness and justice. And I've got some good news for you, sort of. And that is, you know, there's a scripture that says that God's, we love the scripture, that God's thoughts are not our thoughts and God's ways are not our ways. And for the record, I just want to just confess how frustrating that scripture is because that means that he doesn't think like you. He doesn't think like me. He doesn't think like we do. So I want to tell you when it comes to justice or when it comes to fairness, he's not going to see justice or fairness the way we do. His thoughts are not our thoughts when it comes to justice or fairness. And his ways are not our ways when it comes to justice and fairness. And to confirm this to you, what I want to do is I want to read to you a parable that is probably the most frustrating to me parable that Jesus ever told. Now, this parable is found in Matthew chapter 20, but before we get to the parable, let me explain, in case you're not, if you're here this morning, you don't really go to church and you're not sure what a parable is, let's just look and see what a parable is, the definition of a parable. A parable is a fictitious story that illustrates a spiritual principle, okay? So whenever Jesus, when he's walking around doing his teachings and talking to people, when he wanted to illustrate some kind of spiritual truth or principle, he would launch into a parable. And when he told a parable, everyone in the parable represented somebody, every character that was in the parable represented somebody that was possibly in the crowd then, even God. And that's the same for us today. In this parable, we can find ourselves in this parable. So as people would follow Jesus around and Jesus would launch into a parable and he'd launch into it and people would go, oh, oh, hey, let's, they would lean in and say, let's figure out who everybody is in this story. I don't want to invite you to do the same, okay? Now, this parable, which we find in Matthew chapter 20, actually starts, the the story starts in Matthew chapter 9. Now, keep in mind, when Matthew wrote the Bible or wrote the gospel or the story, all he was doing was document. He wasn't writing the Bible. He was documenting the life of Jesus, okay? So the verses and chapters were added later for simplicity of being able to locate Scripture. So in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is actually engaged with a very rich young man, and he comes to Jesus and says... Jesus, I, I, you know, I, there's something missing, okay? There's something, I'm missing something. How do, I know that there's, uh, that I'm, I just don't have it. And Jesus said, hey, here's an idea. Why don't, you, why don't you keep the Ten Commandments? And then he goes off and Jesus lists about six of those commandments. Honor your father and mother, keep the Sabbath, yada, yada, yada. And the young man's like, yeah, I've been doing that since a kid. I, I don't think that's it. And so Jesus says, I got something for you. Why don't you take your stuff and sell it, give it to the poor, and embark on an incredible journey with me. Well, the the scriptures say that the man goes away sad because he couldn't do that. And Jesus, seeing this as a teaching moment, turns to his 12, 12 disciples, his crew, and he says, hey, you know that it's almost impossible for people who think they have it all together within themselves to get into the kingdom of God. And so Peter and the guys are thinking, well, if this guy can't get in, because in that day and age, if you were blessed, if you were rich, it meant that you had a, the hand of God on your life. And so they're looking at this guy thinking, well, if he can't get in, who can get in? And so Peter, representing the guy, says, well, Jesus, well, then who then can be saved? And Jesus says, well, you know, if you try to do it on yourself, it's impossible. But with God, it's absolutely possible. And then as a kind of a P.S., 
Peter throws in and says, hey, Jesus, you, you know that we left, we left everything to follow you, right? So what's up with that? And Jesus says, oh, I'm going to hook you up, man. You're going to have mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and friends and lands and possessions, and people are going to hate you. It's going to be awesome, man. And so then they're like, what? People are going to hate you? And then this parable that he launches into is a continuation of, of, of Peter's question, okay? It's a continuation of Peter's question. Now, the scholars think that the parable that we're going to look in Start that, which is in Matthew chapter 20, actually starts in the very last verse of Matthew 19, where Jesus says this really puzzling statement, okay? And this is Matthew chapter 19, uh, verse 30, and here's what he says. He says, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Now, here's the question that I have for you. What kind of system is Jesus using here? You know, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. You know, the only time we ever quote that scripture is when it's time to get dessert, and we're last in line, and we go, hey, you know, the people who are last are first, so you better let me up there, right, pastor? Right? But what kind of, is this the ranking system that God possesses? It's kind of frustrating. You know, many who are first will be last, but those who are last shall be first. And I think what Jesus is doing, I really believe that Jesus is acknowledging this kind of thing, this unspoken thing that we do. I know that they did it in their culture because, come on, let's just be honest. When you got to church here this morning, many of us sized up more people than we're even conscious of. Ooh, he's good looking. Oh, she's, that's smart. She's beautiful. Ooh, not so much, right? We all do it, right? It's a human thing. It's within our nature. So how frustrating is this? Jesus says, listen, many people that you rank first, they're going to be last. And many of the people that you've ranked last, I'm putting first. Well, wait a minute, Jesus. I'm a pretty good judge of people. Yeah, I know. That's the problem. That's the point of what I'm talking about. So then after this very puzzling statement, he launches into this parable, which again, remember, is a conversation that he starts with Peter, where Peter says, we've left everything. What's in it for us? And so really, here's what Jesus is saying. Okay, Peter, you want to know what's in it for you? You want to know how my kingdom works, how my domain, how it works in the kingdom of God? Let me Let me explain it to you in terms of the sacrifice that you believe you made by following me. He says, let me explain it like this. And this is when we get into the parable in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 1. And Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of an estate who went out in the morning along with the dawn to hire workmen for his vineyard. Now, the good news is that the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like an estate owner And the good news is that he owns a vineyard. Hello, right? I mean, it could have been, he could have said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who owns some water wells, but he didn't. He says he owns a vineyard. Nicole, we got wine, baby. Okay, some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all do it in secret. Some of you, I can't let anybody know that I drink wine in church, okay? So, so, okay, so we get into the story, and what we find is that the man who has a vineyard, and he goes to a place where people are obviously unemployed, and they're standing around waiting for someone to hire them. So this owner of the vineyard goes into this place, verse 2, and after agreeing with the laborers for a denarii a day, then he sent them into his vineyard. So notice that this point... 
This first group of laborers, and by the way, there'll be five different groups of laborers, which I think it's ironic because five is in the biblical sense is the number of grace, which scholars say that this, this parable that we're going into is the, is the gospel in a nutshell. It is, the, it is the definition of grace, okay? So the first people he hires at six o'clock in the morning, they are going to be the only group in the five groups that he hires that enters into a contract. Only this group will put pen to paper and sign a contract saying, you go out to my vineyard, you work 12 hours, you get paid a Daenerys. Good. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for the job. Now, four more times during the day at 9 a.m., at 12 p.m., at 3 p.m., and at 5 p.m., this owner goes into this square, wherever they're hanging around, sees men who are sitting idly by and says, why are you not working? And they said, nobody hired us. And so he says, go into my field and work into my vineyard, and I will pay you what is right. So five more times during the day, which by the time you get to five o'clock, that these people probably worked maybe one hour, right? Great story, awesome story, so far so, so good. So now Jesus goes on to tell the story and he begins to explain how at the end of the day, which would be according to you know, how they did things, um, it's the end of the day, the sun's going down, the manager has everybody line up and he would have gone through his normal operations of paying, starting with the people who were hired first, all the way to the people who were hired last. But the vineyard owner says, hold on a sec. Verse 10, or verse eight. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the workmen and pay them their wages, beginning with the first, or beginning with the last, and ending with the first. So the owner's like, hold on, hold on, hold up. We're gonna flip this around a little bit. What I want you to do is I want you to call the people in that were hired last, and I want you to pay them first. And the people that hired last or pay, pay, hired first, I want you to pay them last. Kind of a reoccurring theme in our, in our parable, isn't it? In our story. By the way, this parable would have no tension whatsoever had the vineyard owner paid them the way they were supposed to get paid. The vineyard, the t- all the tension in this story is put there by the vineyard owner. Now remember, everybody in Jesus' parable represented somebody. So who is the vineyard owner? It's God. Yes, that's right. It's God, okay? So let's just have a little bit of fun. So you got the five different groups, all right? The five different employee groups. And uh, the, so you got the, the people that were hired at daybreak, okay? They're right here. They're hired at six o'clock. And then you have the ones that are hired at nine. Then you have the ones that are hired at noon and three and then five. And who, let's be honest, if these guys were hired at five o'clock, by the time they got out to the vineyard and got their assignment, how, how, how long do you think they worked? What, maybe 30 minutes, maybe 25 minutes, right? And so remember, all, the only people with a contract, the only people that put pinned to paper and had an agreement for what they were going to get paid was this group. All the other groups were just Jesus or the, the vineyard owner said, I will pay you whatever is fair. Okay. And they were, so the five o'clock group was like, cool. Awesome. Thanks for the job. So it's the end of the day. It's paycheck time. The manager, the owner tells the manager to flip it around. And so the, the manager walks up to this group that maybe worked 25, 30 minutes and he dropped a Daenerys in their hand. Meanwhile, this group down here is going, check it out. Look, dude, they only worked 30 minutes an hour. They got a Daenerys. We were there 12 hours. We get paid. We get paid, right? And the manager gives them a Daenerys, and he gets to the group that had been there since 3 o'clock. One Daenerys. Gets to the group that had been there since noon. 
One Daenerys. Gets to the group that went, that's been there since nine o'clock. One Daenerys. You see a trend? What is it? One Daenerys. These guys don't even see the trend. They're still over here going, we getting paid. We getting paid, man. They don't even see the trend. See, that's what happens, though, is when you get into a contract with God, when you get into a contract with God where you think that this guy, that, 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 that you're owed something more than everybody else, you can't even see trends. You can't even, these guys are oblivious to the trend that they, that's going on, right? They're still thinking that they're going to get more. They're still thinking that, oh, we're going to get more. But see, as soon as you believe that you think that you're going to get what you deserve, as soon as you start dealing with, term, with God in terms of a contract, in terms of, in terms of what you've earned or what you think is yours, you can't even begin to see the seasons and the sign of the times. You can't begin to see trends. See, these guys are oblivious to what's going on because they think that they're going to get more. Why? Because they think God is fair. Because he's an American, right? Look what happens. Verse 10. Now, when the first came, that's the ones who got paid, who've been there all day, they supposed that they would get more. But each of them also received a Daenerys, and they were livid. And when they received it, they grumbled at the owner of the state, saying, These men who came last worked no more than an hour. And yet you've made them equal or rank with us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the Middle East. These guys didn't do a thing. They worked 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes. We were out there all day long during the scorching heat of the Middle East, and you're going to make them equal to us? You're going to pay them the same as us? And the owner says to them, he answered them, friend, I'm doing you no injustice. Did you not agree with me for a Daenerys? This is the contract you signed. You signed a contract, and according to the contract, you just, you, uh, the contract was for a day's work for a denera. Yeah, but you know what? God, God, I believe that God is sending a message to this church through this story. You know what that message is? Don't do contracts with God, okay? Don't do contracts with God. You know what a contract with God, God is? If you'll do this, I'll do this. See, Israel did that. Israel, when they came out of Egypt after captivity, they went through the Red Sea. They were no longer slaves. They get to Mount Sinai. God's up on Mount Sinai, and there's lightning and thunder and all this going on. And they're telling Moses, Moses, this is kind of freaking us out, dude. Why don't you go up there? Whatever he says, we'll do it. Just sign our names for us. And 1,500 years later, no human being on this planet has been able to fulfill this 10-step self-help relationship with God plan. Every human being has failed. So do not get into contract with God. Because here's what's happening. They're like, that's it? That's it? Really, God? That's it? That's all I get? Yeah, that was the contract. You ever notice that, that sometimes we think bad about God because he's so good? Really, God, you're going to bless them? After all I've been doing, you're going to bless them. See, we feel, is that just me or is that just me? That we feel bad, we think bad about God because of his goodness, but not when it's applied to us, but when it's applied to someone else. You know, oh yeah, Um, the builder who built our house, his dad was a pastor and so he built it at cost. And right after we closed, we had $300,000 in equity. Really, God? I was in my house for 25 years, and I only made $25,000. Really? That's it? 
I hated that house anyway. Oh, we planted our church, and a year after we planted our church, someone gave us 50 acres in Vieira, and we were able to build a big building debt-free. Really, God? We met in a movie theater for 10 years. And we had to buy a nightclub that smelled like puke. Oh, my grandmother got cancer. She was 70. We prayed for her, completely healed. Really, God? I've been praying for my daughter since she's born that she would be healed. So you know what I found? I can't explain it in my short time on this earth with God. There are going to be times in your life when he will have you here. Woohoo! A Daenerys. I only worked 25 minutes. And there's going to be times in your life when you're going to be here. That's it, God. That's all I get. And there's going to be times when you're here. There's going to be times when you're here. And there's going to be times when you're here. It's interesting about the, the contract crew. Because if they, they, because of the way they saw things, they completely missed an opportunity for a blessing. Because you know what I would have done? If they were smart, here's what they should have done. When they saw that whole pay thing, one denaro, one denaro, one denaro, and they saw what happened, when they got paid, what they should have said was, um, excuse me, sir, before we go, are you hiring tomorrow? Oh, you are? Okay, because I... I can't be here in the morning. I got some things I got to do, but I could be here around four o'clock. If you got an opening around four o'clock, I could do that. Oh, you do? Okay, I'll be here then. Right? That's what I want to see. What we have to do is we have to learn. The Bible says it this way to know the times and seasons in which we live. I like to put it this way. Work within the culture that God has for that season. See, but when you get into a contract, when you start dealing with God and what you think you deserve, on what you think that you've earned, on what you think you're owed, and you start comparing yourself to other people, you completely miss the opportunity to be blessed. And I don't know how much longer as a church or as a body of Christ that we can go, because it affects us. Because then we walk into church and we go, you are good, you are good. You're never going to let me down. You're never, well, that worked out well, right? (laughs) See, one of the scholars says about this passage, a commentary that I read, that is abundantly clear that God has, uh, that God is abundantly clear that God does not give according to our strict measures of justice on how we measure it here on the earth. And I'm just here to tell you that you will enjoy your life with God a lot better if you just let go of your definition of fairness. You will enjoy your relationship with God a lot better if you'll just let go of your definition of fairness and just let it fly away, okay? Because these, these guys, because life comes down to basically one of two decisions, right? And especially if you're a Christ follower, because these guys get flustered, okay? And they, they're upset at the vineyard owner. And what the vineyard owner says next is probably the saddest part of the story. I, I, I think one of the saddest parts of this whole thing was when the rich young guy walked away because he could have had a great relationship with God. And I read that and go, oh, my heart drops. But this next one is probably the saddest line in this whole, se- in this whole story. In verse 13, he says, friend, I'm doing you no injustice. Did you not agree with me for a denera? And then verse 14, he says, take what is yours and go your way. Take what you believe belongs to you and go your way. 
See, life comes down to two, one of two decisions that you're going to have to make, one of two choices. You can take what you believe is yours. You can take what you believe that belongs to you, what you think you earned, what you think you're owed, and you can go your way. Or you can take what comes from his generous hands. And that is the essence of life, especially if you're here this morning and you call yourself a Christ follower. But the question is, do we trust him? Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible clearly teaches that we can expect generous things from his hands and that we can believe for it and have expectations for it. But as soon as we think we are owed it, that's when we end up here. Now, I have to admit, I'm a, I'm a simple guy. Good looking, but simple. <laughs> and it, I, is it oversimplified to say, to be one of those guys that just thinks like this, like, you know what? While we're standing here waiting to get paid, is it okay to admit that I'm just so glad to be on the team? While we're standing here waiting for the manager to pay us and the owner to pay us, is it okay to admit I'm just glad I got sent into the vineyard? Because can we just think about where we came from? Can we just consider a second where we can, came from? Can we just consider that at one point that we were sitting in the open square of, of aimless humanity, that we were, I was sitting idle in the open square of aimless humanity with no purpose and no direction in life, and then a man, a God man, a wealthy man, a vineyard owner came to me and said, would you like some purpose in your life? Would you like some direction in your life? Would you go into my vineyard? Would you stay and work in my vineyard? Would you be there? And I don't care how long you're there. I just want you in my house. Is it fair enough to say, God, I don't care what you give them. I don't care. You can give them anything you want. I am just so glad that you came and found me. I mean, because what's the alternative? Take what is yours and go your way. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to you but the end is death. You know, I don't think there's any more appealing or attractive to God that when he looks down the line of life and he's handing out the Daenerys and he sees some mature followers who look at the ones who just came in and go, isn't this amazing? You guys just, I've been serving God for 30 years and y'all just come into the kingdom and you got everything that I'm getting. That's awesome. I don't think there's anything that excites God more than, hey, you know what? This is amazing, dude. You, we've, been here, we've been here in Melbourne for 10 years in the movie theater, and you come in, and you've got a building in two years, and you're reaching thousands. That is awesome. <laughs> that's, that's where we are. Some of you, you know what? Some of you are going to be tempted to be here because you're building a building, and you know what's going to happen when you build a building? Thousands of people are going to come here, and you're going to go, I served every day for 10 years. I set up and tear down, and they just come in here and enjoy this, and they didn't do anything. <laughs> but you know what God wants to see? God wants to see people who are excited about that. Who are, nothing excites him more than that. Because you know what? Guess what? Let me give you some news. God was working in this community long before these two got here. These two are riding on the shoulders. There was somebody that paved the way for them to come start. And you know what? Starting a church isn't easy, but it was easier for them because somebody else came years and years ahead of them and paved the way for them to do what they're doing in this area. I remember a guy that used to preach in this area named Jamie Buckingham. Anybody remember him? 
He paved the way for you. And what you have to recognize is that there are people that have paved the way for you to be here. And you may be setting up and tearing down, but guess what? You're going to be paving the way for somebody else. Because you know how you spell grace? U-N-F-A-I-R. Okay, <laughs> I'm not really good. I'm good at spelling, don't get me wrong, except when I have to, to you know, say it. Like, I would not be good in a spelling bee. I'm at the Grace Church spelling bee. Unfair. Could you use that in the sentence, please? My wife says, hey, let's take the grandkids to get some I-C-E-C-R-E-A-M. And I'm like, who's in the hospital? Because <laughs> you don't say ice cream to kids, right? You don't say, they're like, hey, you want to get some ice cream? Yeah, I want ice cream. No, we were just talking about it. Chocolate, I want chocolate. No, we were just talking about it, right? But see, grace, grace is spelled unfair. We love grace when it happens to us. Awesome. But when someone else down the line gets grace, we're like, not him, God. But see, you have a choice. And listen, I really believe this is what, and I'm not trying to over-spiritualize, I really believe that this is what the Holy Spirit wanted me to say to Grace Church Melbourne. You have to stay in the vineyard. Listen to me. You have to stay in the vineyard. Because if you start dealing with, because you've been doing this for 10 years, if you start dealing this with, this is what you think you've earned and what you think you're owed and what you think belongs to you, you'll get exacerbated and you'll go, God, is this all I have to show? Because let me tell you, there are going to be times when you're going to want to throw in the towel. You're going to want to quit. And you're going to go, you know, that's it. I've been doing it for so long and I didn't see anything. And look at them. They show up on the scene and they got a building. They got a house. Their daughter gets healed. And I've been praying for so long. I'm telling you, do, you've got to stay in the vineyard. Look at someone and say, stay in the vineyard. And I really believe, listen, I want you to be serious. Look, I know it's hard. Tell somebody, I know it's been hard for you. Okay, I'll do it. I know it's been hard for you. Stay in the vineyard. Stay in the vineyard. You've got to stay in the vineyard. You've got to stay in the vineyard. Listen, this, my whole message is summed down to this and I'm gonna wrap it up. Whatever you do, mom, dad, Grandpa, grand, whatever you do, you have got to stay in the vineyard. And there are going to be times when you're going to want to quit. And there are going to be times when you're going to look at God and say, it doesn't make sense. This isn't fair. But this is not right. But you're going to be, have to say, you know what? I am not out of here. In fact, you know what? I am, instead of taking what belongs to you and going your way, you have to step back and say, God, I trust you. And I trust that whatever is in your hand is the definition of fairness. And I'm going to stay in the vineyard and I'm going to continue, continue to do what you've called me to do. And whatever you give me, whatever you bless me with, that is what is right. That is what is fair. That's how you define justice. Because every one of us have been the benefactors of a full day's uh, of some, every one of us have been the benefactor of someone else who worked a full day who've gone before us. And we've stood here so grateful with our little Daenerys as somebody else has done the work, okay? But now many like me and some of you who are my age, we're at this end of the line, okay? And we're going to have to stand here and cheer. And there's going to be one day when we're not even going to be able to go out to the field anymore. And the scriptures say that we're going to be standing in a great grandstand in heaven, cheering on this next generation. And so that, if that's where we are, if you're like me, we're at this end of the line and we can be tempted to quit and say, you know what, I've been doing this for so long, but I just want to tell you, you've got to stay in the vineyard. Do not take what you think belongs to you and go your way. 
Do not take what you think belongs to you and go your way because it is up to us and it is up to you to make sure that this next generation that is coming in is equipped. Do you think that it's a coincidence that I happen to be here on the day you've placed your student pastor in here? It wasn't planned by us. It was planned by God. Do you think that it's coincidence that you're standing here on the, on the verge of looking at the promised land, you own land, and now you've got to make the final push into getting the building going? It's not coincidence. It's God that's telling you you're tired, you're hot, you think you're owed. I'm telling you, do not leave the vineyard. Do not take what you believe is yours and go your own way. You've got to stay in the vineyard. Let's pray. God, I think every one of us have been at this end before. I've been there. I just want to say I'm sorry. God, we never want to take for granted what has come from your hands. We never want to take for granted what, what we believe, how you've blessed us. Because every one of us in the room, we're sitting idle in the open square of humanity with no direction and no purpose, and you showed up. And you sent us into your house, into your field. You gave us purpose and direction. God, we never want to have the mindset of the contractual word that you owe us because you don't owe us. God, we owe you. After what you've done for us, we owe you to stay in the field. We owe you to set up this next generation, this next group of people who are sitting idle in the open square of Melbourne and Palm Bay and the beaches. That God, you'd send us into that square to give them direction and, 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 and meaning and purpose. And Lord, we'd set up this next generation. Lord, we want to be in the line that says we're so excited for what you've done. Lord, I thank you for using this church. I thank you for using these pa pastors, Aaron and Nicole, Pastor Johnny and his wife, Jessica. Lord, that this is a new day crossing over to a new day for this church. It's the beginning of the next chapter of the next season. Lord, I see it as a season of greatness. I see a season of purpose. I see a, a season of many people getting purpose to go into the vineyard, to go into the field. God, I thank you for that call and that purpose, and Lord, that we'd always have that heart of gratitude. In Jesus' name. Amen.